With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day. Three-two Atlanta, two men out in the sixth. High and deep to right field. This could be number three hundred, and it is for Dale Murphy. Manny, you're not part of the uh, TBS generation, are you? Uh, when TBS baseball dominated... Uh, well, I, when I first got into baseball when I was about 10, I used to watch a lot of Braves games mm-hmm. on TBS and Skip Carey and Pete Van Waren and all and those guys. Ernie yeah. Johnson, what an yeah. announcing team it was. They were fun. Well, our buddy uh, uh, Wright Thompson, uh, who writes these fantastic long uh, pieces for ESPN, the magazine... He has a uh, piece in this issue that you can find online on Dale Murphy. And I, my, my uh, friend Jerry Fraley was covering the Braves then and was a wonder, big admirer of Dale Murphy. But it's interesting to read Wright's perspective on being a young baseball fan in the southeast part of America. And... You know, all of a sudden it becomes the TBS generation. (laughs) And Dale was that, Dale was the hero to that generation of people. And Dale was like the nicest guy in the world. And that became such an image of his that he couldn't get home to see the wife and the kids because he'd still be signing autographs two hours and as it's great stuff in this piece, right? Thompson wrote about his wife uh, being in the next room and he's in there and some guy's trying to talk to him about camping out on Thanksgiving to, <laughs> for a charity when he's, he's already got five. They ended up with eight kids. They got, you know, good Mormon family and uh, ended up with eight kids and she's sitting in the next room waiting for him to have the courage to say no, you know, because he was the all-time guy of saying yes. A uh, fantastic player, two-time National League MVP when they weren't exactly a dominant team back then. There were some lean years for the Braves in the 80s. there was, but uh, Dale Murphy played there from 76 to 1990. Started off as a catcher first three years. Couldn't, uh, wasn't a great thrower, wasn't a great defensive catcher. Ended up uh, moving out to the outfield. He's got 398 home runs because he had some injuries late in his career after he left the Braves and never, he went out to Colorado and uh, in 19, 
uh, 93, needing two home runs to get to uh, 400. And he finally just said, I can't do it anymore. I'm all beat up. And uh, he was with the Braves till 90, got traded to the Phillies during the 90 season. 1993, last year in uh, Colorado. Uh, was 93, and he didn't stick around for the last two home runs. He called up his wife after some night when he had went 0 for 4 and said, I'm coming home. Isn't it kind of a shame, though? Like, he, he's a good player on these just these bad Braves teams in the 80s, and then he's gone, and then they finally get good yeah. and start going to the World yeah, Series right. every year. That's too bad. Well, the other thing, the, the, uh, Wright Thompson's kind of his theme in this is, is baseball ready you know, we we don't. Some of us don't put in the steroid guys, right? Right. We won't put in the steroid cheaters, but we also won't put in the non-steroid guys because they didn't have quite enough home runs. <laughs> what if he'd taken steroids, never got hot, caught, and hit 450 home runs? Because he said one of his uh, there's a, one of his old teammates in there, Glenn Hubbard. Remember that little guy? Mm-hmm. He said to him, he said. I'm not recommending it to you. And, you know, there's no accusation that Hubbard took them. But he's saying, boy, if a guy ever needed steroids, it's you. Because he was breaking down physically, you know. <laughs> but, of course, he was Mr. You know, milk drinking, never drank, never swore, never did any of those things. And uh, it's a very good piece, and you can find it on ESPN.com, on Wright Thompson. Everything he does is fantastic. But this is interesting about... Okay, the Braves came to the South in 66, I believe, or so, was it 65? And they had Henry, you know, as a hero when mm-hmm. he first got there. But this guy, all he became the... Henry was a, a radio hero, right? Sure. This guy became the TV hero of, of early cable. Right. Dale Murphy. And we watched Braves games... Even though up here, even though we had no interest in them, right? Because you had them and the Cubs, and and if you were working in the daytime, you didn't have the Cubs, so you had the Braves. Yeah, and it's and in the South, they, they Wright Thompson writes about all the letters he was written by troubled youth and stuff, and he'd he'd get hundreds of letters and try to, uh, and this the lead is. This guy uh, grew up loving Dale Murphy and had a real troubled childhood and wrote him a letter. And uh, and then he started going to Braves fantasy camps and he got to meet him later in life. And he picks him up and he he, get his, he gets his phone number eventually and they're they communicating. And he he's he, they're going somewhere for like the fantasy camp dinner. And... He texts uh, Dale and says, do you need a ride? And he says, yes, and it, which surprised him. And yes, so he picks him up, and he's got a buddy, and the guy freaks out because he's got Dale Murphy riding in the car with him. <laughs> but he shows him this. Dale Murphy says, hey, my wife was going through some old letters. Uh, look at this one. And it was the letter that the kid had written to him, like, <laughs> 30 years earlier, 25 years earlier. It was the, his wife found the letter and he took, wow. a, he took a photo of it and put it on his phone. But he's now out. He's got eight kids. They're all grown, a bunch of grandchildren. And he's, he becomes eligible for the Veterans Committee to vote him into the Hall of Fame. And this is, this is almost a plea for 
uh, Wright Thompson to say, take another look at this guy. Yeah. Because you would be saying, if you don't put in Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and you do put in Dale Murphy, you're sending a message about doing it the right way. Right, yeah. And, of course, one of my favorites is my my uh, pal Fraley, who is <laughs> is one of the great guys ever. But once in a while, you'll... you'll uh, You'll uh, snap him, and he tells a story on himself about being in a plane, <laughs> and these two guys were trying to decide who was that guy that played for the Braves, and they were saying all this idiotic stuff, and finally he turns around, <laughs> it was Dale Murphy, and he won two bleeping MVPs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I? Uh, I I, I want to play something that I've I threw in the system a few weeks ago that I think was primarily why it, it speaks to why I loved watching Braves games so much okay. when I was a kid on TBS and it's skip carry uh, at the end of a game here. The magnificent seven are warming up in the bullpen and we'll be with you as soon as Leonard hits into a six, four, three, <laughs> six, four, three. <laughs> oh, well, Win, win, win. Braves win it 6-1. Totals and highlights after this. Greatest. Nah, Skip was he was the favorite. greatest. He was crazier than his old man in a in a more sane, in a different way. Yeah. But, uh, Gosh, he was great. Yes. The cocktail hour with the when he did the Hawks games, they would they it's when the Braves, Hawks had win there were they were pretty good. It's the cocktail time, you know. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Timmy Otter covers the Vikings for VikingUpdate.com. How's the viewing out at the new facility? I hear it's a little harder for the uh, media to get up close and personal. Oh, actually, I think it's harder for the fans to get up close yes. and personal. They, they they have them walled away. You know, whereas in Mankato, there were a lot of opportunities for players walking across the street or walking by the fences and fans could grab autographs and uh you know they're they're still going to have their regular autograph sessions yes. but trying to casually catch a player coming off the field is going to be near impossible here that uh that uh, that walkway there where if if you had a doe-eyed child leaning over the fence they would stop and give you an autograph that's that's uh, they don't have to worry about seeing those doe-eyed kids anymore right <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of right. I mean, they still have, and they're still trying to figure things out here. I, you know, they're going to review things after a week and then after this training camp and see what they can do better. But, you know, just the, the casual meetings, those are probably gone forever. Uh, how about the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity for the media to tackle somebody and get a 10 minute interview going to the locker room? Is that as good? <laughs> is that the same or is that a little different too? Well, it is a little different because, you know, in Mankato, it seemed like more players were uh, staying after practice and kind of staggering when they were leaving the practice fields here so far. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty quick period between the end of practice and when all of them are off the field. Some of that could have to do, you know, it's just basically rookies and quarterbacks and some injured guys coming off, you know, coming back. So. Um, you know, once they have the full complement of 90 players on the field, that might change a bit too. What, uh, you know, at, uh, Mankato, you had the, you know, you basically had three fields there. They were working on one and some other guys were working on the other. Uh, how many adjacent practice fields are there here now? 
Okay, so they have four grass fields outside of their, you know, right outside the building. Um, two of them are basically used for the practices okay. here during training camp, and the other two, uh, you know, one of them is basically either kickers or some uh, players rehabbing on another field. But the two closest to the fans are the two they're using, and uh, those are also the, the two that are heated that they can use later in the season when they're, you know, practicing to go against uh, at Chicago or Green Bay or something like that. Hey, Tim, uh, is the stadium done yet or not? It is. I'm actually sitting in the bleachers oh, really? right now. Yeah. And so it, that's what's going to be used for their night practice. What is it, like August 4th or something like that, Saturday night practice. And uh, there are two practices against Jacksonville. But other than that, um, you know, their practice, their other ones are going to be on the outdoor uh, practice fields. Uh, and what's, what's that thing going to hold? 78,000, something like that? Well, they're, you know, they're capping daily attendance here at 5,000 and it, it hasn't even gotten close to that yet because I think people have gotten smarter about you know walkthroughs are, are fairly boring and <laughs> right now we just have rookies basically practicing but I think this weekend they're expecting close to 5,000 and then um, you know the, the stadium is expandable to 6,500 with seating behind the end zones that they could add but for right now, they're at 5,000. And, and actually, what they're doing with the stadium right now, it's, it's basically a, a huge kids' area where they can, you know, play beanbag oh, toss okay. or kick field goals. So, you know, I, I think from a kid's perspective that, you know, kids' attention spans are pretty short. So they may not be interested in watching two and a half hours of practice. They can just head on over to the stadium, which is right next to the practice fields, and take you know, take place in all the different activities they have for kids. Hey, uh, Tim, what were your uh, inner workings with uh, Tony Sperano? you have any good conversations with Tony? Uh, you know, I just had one extended interview with him, and, uh, you know, he, he what you see on the field with the players can be how he is, but he can also be a guy that um, is a little more thoughtful. So I, I think it's He's a guy that I think has that crusty exterior that may be hard to, to pierce at first, but he also give you an honest answer about a player and what he thinks of them and what they need to work on. So I, I do think that, you know, the stories you hear about players, um, you know, really respecting him, uh, I think that's true. I think he, he has the, the chance to curse you out and then put his arm around your shoulder and, and, kind of tell you how you can get to where he wants you to be. I was talking about this a couple days ago, uh, Tim. There's no relationship in football that's more, I I don't want to use the word family because it's overused, but more of the the group, us against the world, and offensive linemen and their coach. It's, It's always a different relationship than with any other position group, I think. Yeah, well, I think it's sort of that, uh, you know, people don't pay attention to us, and (laughs) most of them don't want to seek the attention, frankly. You know, they'd rather be behind the scenes. Uh, You know, all the way back in the 90s, I can remember, it was always the offensive linemen getting in early, having coffee in the equipment room and playing cribbage, and, uh, you know, the other players would come in later. So they are kind of their their own close-knit group. 
Yeah, and uh, you know what I always remember is the guys out in Denver, uh, and they they had the uh, the coach who wouldn't let them talk to the media. And basically, I was out there uh, when when they went to the Super Bowl one time, and I got to talk to uh, Loudermilk and Habib, and they were basically willing to get fined in order to rip Denny Green. So <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah. It it was, but they've always said it's 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 a different uh, if it's a different animal, man. Offensive lineman. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the thing that uh, has always stood out to me with the offensive linemen is, you know, they 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 kind of patrol each other and uh, make sure that you know not too much publicity is coming their way. They'll give each other a hard time if it is. They'll they'll levy fines against each other and, and, you know, basically I think donate it to charity or throw a party yeah. for their, their position group after the season's over. Zimmerman and uh, Habib, not uh, Laudermilk and Habib, Gary Zimmerman, who ended up going yeah. to the Hall of Fame, by the way. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, They had, uh, they had several of those guys that, that ended up, you know, going uh, out to the AFC West or even NFC West and, and made a little bit more of things once Denny got here. Do you even attempt to uh, let your attention be caught by anybody in these rookie things? I mean, do you uh, are you just uh, looking for speed, looking for hands? What are you looking for when you're just watching a bunch of rookies running around? Yeah, I mean, there's two things. Number one, you are dealing with rookies, so it's it you know they're they're kind of swimming still a little bit on what's expected of them and trying to catch up to the speed of the game. And then the other thing is they don't have pads on yet, so. It's also hard to judge them. So right now, it, it is kind of, you know, guys uh, from a receiver perspective, are they dropping balls? From a uh, defensive perspective, are you know, are they where they're supposed to be? Or you know, you can see one time uh, one of the safeties kind of blew his assignment and left the guy wide open, and he's you know hitting his helmet in frustration. And so there's honestly at this early stage of camp, it's mostly about kind of getting getting the feature type stories on uh you know what they did in the off season or you know mike hughes buying a house for his mom as soon as he signed his contract things like that uh that kid is an athlete huh hughes oh my goodness yeah i i really think he's got a very strong chance to end up as their nickel cornerback this year and kind of send mackenzie alexander back into the shadows because uh hughes has incredible speed and, and great makeup uh, ability. And then, you know, it was interesting to hear Zimmer, who rarely throws out compliments to defensive backs early in their career, saying that he's never had a defensive back or a cornerback anyway that's picked up his scheme as quickly as Hughes. So I think he's got the confidence. He's got the speed. Um, I'm curious to see his physicality, because if he's going to be playing a lot of nickel cornerback, He's going to have to be a you know a guy that helps out in the the run stopping area as well. Well, and uh, what's interesting is they they I mean Zim everybody must have just uh, been over the you know over the top in what they thought of him to actually have drafted him then when they didn't really need him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was so good at his, he was so good at his position that they I mean it was a nice you're always happy to have a cornerback but it was not a real position of need. No, I mean, that, it surprised me that they went after that position because they were already fairly deep. I mean, they have their two established starters. You know, Trey Waynes, I think, is, has really uh, kind of gotten very comfortable with his role and played a lot better the last year that he's been in there. And, 
you got Terrence Newman coming back. So to, to draft Waynes tells me two things. One, it's a Zimmer pick because he loves his cornerbacks. And two, you know, they, they in general always feel like getting cornerbacks and getting pass rushers is, is hard to do. So when you have the chance to get, you know, the quote unquote elite of them in the draft, go after it and do it. Hey, uh, so uh, back a little bit to the offensive line. Does it? Uh, is there any chance that the tight end guy is going to end up doing this, or what? Do you, what do you think uh, they're going to do? Talk, you're talking about their their uh, coach Brian Co- O'Neill. Co- no, oh. no, coach wise. Oh, for, as far as coaching, yeah. To me, it sure looks like the way they're they're starting to move is Clancy Barone. Um, you know, who who actually coached the offensive line for two or three years in Denver. Um, I I think he'll end up probably being the guy that, that comes in and, uh, you know, takes over offensive line. It wouldn't surprise me if Todd Downing, who's been here in the past and is back now and kind of had a special assistant role coming yeah. into the season, if he takes over the tight end position. You know, I, to me, I think it's really important for them as they try to transition through the whole Sperano situation to have some consistency in what was taught during the offseason, what was taught last year. And, and kind of keep it going. I mean, the, the, the timing of this thing isn't ideal, but, uh, you know, you just sort of adjust and try to go on. Okay. Hey, Tim, thanks for your time, sir. And uh, uh, let's get camp going here and get some stories out there. Well, let's get some pads on and okay. start getting to the point where we can actually evaluate things. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tim. Timmy right, Otter, you can follow his excellent coverage of the Vikings on vikingupdate.com. We shall return. You're along for the ride with Royce. I'll damn near kill you, but it's good exercise. <laughs> On 1500 ESPN. Here's Reavers with a sports update. Thank you, Patrick. The Twins are in Boston for the first of four against the Red Sox. Maurer, Rosario, Dozier, Escobar, Mitch Garver is now your designated hitter for tonight. Robbie Grossman in right field, Max Kepler in center, Erie Adrianza is your shortstop, and Bobby Wilson behind the plate. Kyle Gibson will start for the Twins. He will battle against left-handed pitcher Brian Johnson for the Red Sox. First pitch tonight from Fenway is at 6-10. By the way, according to Rhett Bollinger of MLB.com, Addison Reed will go on a rehab assignment with AAA Rochester. Plan is for him to pitch tomorrow and Sunday. And around Major League Baseball, I know we had two games earlier today. Manny Hill with the updates on those. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Reavers. Uh, the Chicago Cubs were down 6-4 to four in the bottom of the ninth, and they got three in the ninth to uh, come back and beat the Diamondbacks seven to six, and uh, who's the Diamondbacks uh, closer these days that kicked that one? Away? Oh, it looks that like uh, Boxberger. Oh, the oh, kid from Tampa yeah, on the yeah, save, Boxberger. yeah. Uh, and then they are in the bottom of the seventh in Anaheim. The Angels are holding on to a six to five lead over the mighty Whiteys right now. So, how about Oakland again last night? Yes. Chris Davis hits a three-run jack in the top of the ninth inning, and they win again. They come back. Uh, what they got? I think they got. They were down four runs. They end up getting five runs the last three innings, two innings, and uh, boy, that guy's that guy's the most under the radar. Great power hitter we've had in years. He's, yeah. he's got more home runs in the big leagues than anybody since 2014 or something. They've got wow. the good vibe going on, too, right now in Oakland. Oh, they have it going. I can see uh, I can see the money ball uh, hot streak there when it was. How many in a row was it? 20? How many? It was t- in 02. It was 21? Because Cleveland was 21. Cleveland was 21. Yeah, right. They were somewhere 16, 17, 18, 19, so, something like last that. Last night, Pat, I had on... I 
it was either ESPN or MLB Network because the Twins game was over with, and they had the Red Sox Orioles game in a rain delay, so they were going to different games throughout MLB, and they they went to the coverage of the Rangers and the A's. And I can't remember who the Rangers color analyst was on the television, but he was phenomenal because Edwin Jackson was in the game to pitch for Oakland and he was taking forever between mm-hmm. pitches. And he just said, I'm not going to talk until he throws another pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was out because he was taking forever. It was outstanding. Uh, and Edwin is kind of well known for that. For and, his uh, slow he's pace. He went through 50 different teams, yeah. too. A recent report from Jeff McDonald of the San Antonio Express News, as well as an appearance by ESPN Spurs reporter Michael C. Wright on the Zach Lowe podcast on ESPN.com, indicates that there was more to Kawhi Leonard's mysterious rift with the San Antonio Spurs than just his injury. According to McDonald, one of the first changes with Leonard and his relationship with the Spurs came during the 2016 NBA All-Star Weekend in Toronto. Quote, Leonard and his traveling companions noticed that other All-Stars, notably Oklahoma City point guard Russell Westbrook, were using private luxury cars to get around instead of the standard transportation provided by the NBA. They wanted the star treatment to end quote, according to McDonald. This sounds like uh, uh, wise a, uncle, man. Sounds like uh, sounds like something not worth getting excited about, right? Is he going to? Is it, but why would he be mad at the Spurs? Because they weren't. Are the they Spurs the ones? Won- they, maybe they weren't pushing hard enough for him to get the. Uh, I the don't know. Is that not the most NBA thing ever? Though it just it, <laughs> this. I mean, I. It, it's hard to read because Kawhi is so quiet and right. he doesn't say anything. And there's been so many rumblings that his uncle is the one doing all the talking and and getting all the stuff riled up. So I I don't know. It's weird. UFC fighter Conor McGregor has pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct in a deal with prosecutors to avoid jail time. How can you be in trouble for attacking a bus? McGregor had faced multiple criminal charges stemming from an altercation in April with other fighters. As part of his deal, he is required to undergo anger management training. Good luck to that instructor. The plea will not affect his U.S. work visa. In a statement outside of the New York City courthouse, the 30-year-old thanked the judge and prosecutors for allowing me to move forward. He will also be required to fulfill five days of community service and in exchange will be cleared of all criminal charges. McGregor had been facing 12 charges related to the incident at Brooklyn's Barclays Center on April 5th. All righty. Thank you. We'll be back. The ride with Royce now continues. It's time for late hits. That was Mookie Betts hitting a grand slam earlier. Last night, Mookie hit a three-run homer uh, for the Red Sox in the second inning. Unfortunately, about two seconds later, the storm that had been predicted in Boston came rolling in, wiped out the game after two. Uh, uh, they'd we they'd already had rain delays of forty three and nineteen minutes, Oof. and now they had to stop it. A two hour and thirty three minute rain delay began immediately after Boston took a five zero lead in the second inning. Mookie's home run made it five zero. And Ben and lost a home run. J.D. Martinez lost a home run. Mookie lost a three-run homer. Mookie, when we're voting for the MVP at the end of the year, and it's Mookie or Mike Trout, 
This is going to hurt him. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, and the Red Sox are miffed, not as much about the 5-0 lead, but about the fact that the Orioles chose to, the Orioles were allowed to, if if it's your only trip to town or if it's your last trip to town, it's up to the umpires whether to start a game. In all other occasions, it's up to the home team whether to start a game or not. Which would happen they between ch- division they, rivals. They, yeah. yeah, they're back there in August. So the Orioles chose to play the game, even though the forecast was you got no chance. <laughs> and uh, they they started the game, and then uh, there was two rain delays, and then they continued the game, and they had no chance. So Pat, so Pat, they end up losing uh, three run homer, a home run, and a home run. So help me understand this because I thought we changed this in MLB no, where only if it's uh, if it if it's done before four and a half. Nothing. You, oh, you don't okay. suspend it. You oh, don't okay. suspend it. Okay. I think it has to be. I don't even think if it's tied. Like you, you got to get four and a half played before it, uh, before it can be carried over. Before it can be carried over and suspended. Oof. And uh, yeah, that's that's been going on forever. I think Harmon lost one one year when it would have been giving him fifty. So you're saying the mm-hmm. only person happy is that Baltimore pitcher, whoever mm-hmm. he was. <laughs> yeah, his ERA for the evening becomes a zero. But meanwhile, I was flipping channels last night and saw Trout hit a home run, and Mackey would have been disgusted with him. Oh no. Because he hit the home run, he took a peek, flipped the bat down, and started running around the bases. Oh, that's not no, exciting. There was no bat throwing. There, <laughs> there was, was no bat no, flip. There was no there fist was no pumping. Nothing. And he ran around the bases with his head down and scored the run and accepted congratulations and then oh. got to the dugout and smiled. <laughs> Rob Manfred and... Phil Mackey would not have Very approved upset. at the lack of hot doggy. You, you're, you're reminding me too that I forget the player, but he was thrown at because he had flipped the bet after the home run. And when he was asked about it, I, I'll go look it up to see what it was. But he, you know, he got thrown at. He goes, "Yeah, I knew I was going to get thrown at." And like, "Well, he, are, are you going to apologize?" For He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to apologize for not flipping it far enough because I was super excited that I hit a home run." Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Trout is. Uh, oh, it's yeah. amazing. He's a. You know what's. What's wrong with having a quiet hero, huh? If he was doing more goofy stuff on the West Coast with the Angels, would he get more publicity? If he if he was more animated, it's the stupidest no. thing of all time. That uh, I mean, Manfred to come out and say we need his cooperation. Well, I think that was Manfred's way of saying we need him in the home run contest. Don't you? That's what if it he seems wants. like. Yeah, and, we, we need him in the home run contest. And honestly, I feel like it's more so baseball's responsibility to make him. If if they but, want but, more popularity to the game, but, uh, they're the ones to me that seems like they have to be the ones to sort of hype him up more. But because you're asking him to change then, his personality. Yeah, but even then, how do you? Well, I mean, he's playing. Most of his games at when people are not ten, 10 yeah, on the yeah, East Coast. When first pitch is at nine oh five Central. I will say this. If he was the same guy producing the same results, and he was in center field for the Yankees, well, sure, because they're a they're prominent, and b they're playing it. You know, we all we all know the score at ten o'clock at night and get to see the highlights. Yeah, last night, you know, you get if you stay up, you get to see the highlights. I'm sure he's uh, hugely popular on the West Coast, but you know, it's the West Coast. And the other thing is. It's baseball's status with fans at the moment. Yes. We're not, you know, they're 
you know, in the star-driven craze that we the are NBA, in. There's the NBA as far as stars are concerned, and then there's the uh, NFL as far as far as stars are concerned, and then you got baseball, and that's you know you're not you're not Joe Joe DiMaggio wasn't the superhuman. He could have been playing with the Cubs or the Cardinals or something else in that era, you know. Mm-hmm. But this this era now is this guy's this guy has the same image as Joe DiMaggio had seventy years ago. But we now say, well, he's got to he's got to be more dynamic. All right, let's really get deep on this. Would Puck be the superstar he was in the late eighties and in the nineties today, given where he played his entire career? Because I think he still probably would have been. Well, you know, winning the World Series. You know, one one Trout's biggest problem is they had been in the playoffs once, That's right? true. Yeah, yep, that is you true. Know, put him in the World Put him in a good seven-game World Series with the Cubs and have him hit a two-run homer in the eighth inning of the Game 7, and we'll say, gee, boy, he's, who is this guy? Who is this guy? We should watch <laughs> him play. It is amazing, though, historically, he's probably better than Mickey Mantle. Historically, he's a, he's an all time great, yeah, because he's still healthy. For by, and, by the time Mickey Mantle was this guy's age, his knees were already shot. And there is no real weakness in his game. I mean, he's a no. good center fielder, and he can hit for power. He can hit. I mean, he he's fast. He and he's healthy all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, have our Twinkies? Uh, our Twinkies have gotten him out both time, both series. He hasn't ripped them up, right? What? Uh, you hear we, he's, they they played all their games with the oh, Angels already. Remember, right? you know why? Remember, out there, Otani destroyed him in that Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. game out in Anaheim, and that was because that was before he got hurt. I think yeah. Sosha's done, don't you? I think they're going to fire him well, with, how, with this, this club not making the, you know, they're going to be a 500 team. And, he, yeah, I know he won the World Series in 02. It was a long time but ago. But that was a long time ago. a long ago. time ago. You know, I was making a reference to, when was I making a, oh, I wrote a piece on Jack Morris tomorrow. Uh, more about the 84 Tigers than, than anything. But <laughs> I had in there, I was right, you know, he's remembered around here. For the 20, 1991 World Series, the last World Series, and I had last ever in there, and then I, then I took it out. You know, mm-hmm. in in the Twins' second and last ever World Series championship, <laughs> because I've done. I'm going to be dead. I know I'll be dead before they win it again. Maybe some of you will live to be 150, but uh, not me. I'm, I'm not going to live that long. So anyway. Uh, Jameis Winston, my guy, I'm still hanging with him. He's had some difficulties, and uh, that's a lonely do, island you're on. Do we know what he did with the Uber driver? Yes, he, we do. Did he? Did he? Oh, he, he did grab her. Huh? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And does he never? Has he admitted this yet? No, or he not? has not. But because he tried to blame it on the other guy in the car who wasn't, who has now admitted he wasn't actually in the car, right? Right. Ah. Winston, uh, he decided to talk to the press Thursday. He wasn't given any choice. He gets to practice in the play in the preseason, right? And yeah, but he, once regular season well, starts, so he's, stupid. he's suspended for three if weeks. He says, why why three did they games, let you? Me. Uh, he says he has hard work to do to regret, gain the trust of the people who support <laughs> him. Yeah. The way he played last year, I don't know if we have trusted him even as a player like we used to have. He said he vowed to be a better man for his newborn son. Anton Orr, 
A-N-T-O-N-O-R. Of course, he could have started by calling him Bill or something. But uh, anyway, he says he's got to be a new man, a better man. And he says, I'm going to have to teach that man to respect women and live his day-to-day life the right way. Uh-huh. I've really taken it upon myself to be proactive and make sure I'm going to be a great example for him and my fiance. Well, anywho, uh, they say he's a bright kid and a, and the teammates love him, but uh, he gets. But he's uh, given no evidence for anybody to to think otherwise. That's the well, problem. He's, he's got a really bad image right now, and that honestly, that sounds like a guy that knows. He blew a one, a chance at a one hundred million dollar contract. Yes, yes, that's true. I still like the way he throws a football. But when he, he throws does, but it he's to his not own that team. Good though, that's the. Problem. I think he's good. You do? I think he's really good, but he hasn't been good. He hasn't played good, okay. but he's got great talent. Yeah, and you just wonder if that situation in Tampa too would just. Dirk Cutter is just... That's you know, right, they kept Dirk. Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> he was so good working with quarterbacks. Yeah, you know, they ran Lovey out because they were so They're scared. Idiots. Oh, that they is were so scared Glazer. to lose oh. Dirk Cutter, you know. The Glazers are idiots. Although, Illinois wishes they'd kept Lovey. <laughs> <laughs> Man, alive. Lovey. Lovey's as interested in that job as... I don't know. As you are currently in the Twins. I'm yes, done with them. <laughs> hey, my favorite stat of the of the season, though. Last night, the 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 Rays do the whole crazy pitching thing. They beat the Yankees again by they played Sergio Romo at third base. Oh no! For a batter, and then brought him in, and he ended up saving the game. He relieved in the eighth inning, shifted to third base when Johnny Venders replaced him in the ninth. <laughs> To strike out Brent Gardner, a lefty, then put him back in. To face they Orlandi. win three to two, and they've now beaten the the Yankees. Have lost two series since May, both to the Rays. Wow! The Rays swept them three games in late June, and now they took two out of three from them this week, and they've won six of their last seven against the Yankees. That's Go straight, Rays! That's true. The Joe Madden wow. playbook, isn't it? And one last thing: remember when we used to think the Seahawks were smart? Oh, they're what a, a mess great right smart now. right now. Wow. Well, today they waived Malik McDowell, their 35th overall pick in the 2017 draft, and the first pick they had in that draft, the defensive tackle who has uh, proved to hurt? be a, no, he's proved to be a complete bust. He's oh, had that's the Michigan injuries. State kid. Yeah, he's had some injuries, but he's a complete bust. They also Cam Chancellor has also been on the is on the pop list, but he's probably going to retire because of injuries. So and, and Earl, Earl, Earl Thomas, yeah, yeah just like Earl's not showing not up. He didn't show up, and he wants out. He wants a, he mm. wants an extension, and they're not getting. Guess what, what happened now. there? Well, they I think they alienated a lot of their this veterans. This is going and, this is going down as well as uh, the Pete Carroll finish at Southern Cal. No right? yeah. kidding. Everybody's yeah. mad and leaving. And wow. that defense has gotten old, and yeah. I'll have to text my guy Kirchner and say, "What the hell's going on out here?" I'm this sure he'll is... get back to you real quick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Got him right here, right? Maybe we can call. I'd him love right. to tell you why we're, yeah, we're right. a steaming pile of crap oh, yes. right now. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Ride with Roycey. Let's hear the boys' daily complaints. What do you got, Reavers? Uh, Oops, sorry. You uh, you mentioned stats earlier, and my daily complaint is with me for not remembering to bring this up to you earlier. Uh, Jeremy Frank covers Major League Baseball, and he had this, which might be my favorite stat ever, boys. Joey Votto, since 2010, all right, 
has popped it up seven times. Really? Seven times. What, including, is, what qualifies as a pop-up? To the infielder to the inf- follow-up? Yep, to the infielder followed, exactly. And including zero in 2010, zero in 2016, and so far this year he has had zero with only one last year. The average That's player, remarkable. by the way, with the same would number he, of bats uh, would have had 127 pop-ups. Would have he have it? Did he have any interest in working with Miguel Sano? <laughs> <laughs> But what a great player, and that's a phenomenal stat. Yeah, he's, he's probably a Hall of Famer. What do you have there, Manny? Uh, my complaint is uh, with, once again, Kevin Durant. Uh, <laughs> he was a guest. I don't know if you guys saw this. No. He was a guest on C.J. McCollum's podcast. Yes. And uh, C.J. apparently uh, went in on him about his move to Golden State, and he called it soft, and then mm-hmm. it just led to this Twitter back and forth between the two uh, very good NBA players. And it's just, you know, Kevin Durant, listen, everybody was mad at you for going to Golden State. But just stop getting mad every time somebody says something about you going to Golden State. Just, Just say you were happy. Obviously, you're very happy. You've won two titles. Just get over it. Some people cannot take any criticism at all. It's ridiculous. Uh, here's what I'm upset about. <clears throat> I contacted Kevin Seifert in Montreal, and he was in Montreal today, and I'm upset I've never been to Montreal. That's yeah, what I'm that shocks me. My daily complaint is I've never been to Montreal. We'll so. go there when the Marlins get moved. We'll we do a Rye with Royce show. And when the Expos or, return. <laughs> or for the cup finals between the Wild and the uh, Canadians. There we go. Now, the mayor would like that. Oh, we'll yeah, be, he likes we'll his we'll hats. Be, we'll all be dead for that one. <laughs> all right. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.